0: Today we're moving into Romans chapter 7. This is part of a, a section we're looking at right now, sections 5, 6, 7, and 8, where you know uh, Paul is, is moving into this question of what does it mean to live for Christ? Now, we've been in Romans for a while. We started last year, and then we kind of took a break, and we jumped back into it again when January rolled around. And uh, a lot of folks have ideas of what it means to live for Jesus, but not all of them are correct. Some are pretty good. Some are kind of wild and out there. And so Paul, he's going to take some time in chapter 7 Five, six, seven, 8 to answer that question what does it mean to live for christ so just to kind of give you a, a quick recap maybe you're here this morning for the first time maybe you haven't been here in a while i want to get you all on the same page okay so just to, to recap where we've been romans chapter five we spent some time in there and we learned that god is at work in our lives god's always at work and he's helping you to defeat uh, your sinful condition now all of us in the room no matter who we are, whether you're a white, black man, woman, whether you're from a different continent, whether you're in this time period or you lived in the past, it uh, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, all of humanity starts from the same place. All of humanity has a sinful condition. That is our spiritual default position. We start as sinners because of Adam and what he did in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. And Paul kind of starts there, Romans 5. And then he gets to Romans 6 and he's like, hey, look, if you're going to live for Christ, listen, you're no longer going to be a slave to sin. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that frees us from our sin, and yet we still struggle with sin in our lives. We're still going to have some struggles with sin and temptation. Why is that? Well, it's because we don't reach a state of perfection this side of eternity. Sin is very tempting and enticing, and you're going to have struggles at times with temptations, but in uh, the famous words that God told Cain in Genesis, Um, You must master it. You can overcome sin. You can defeat sin in your life. How do I do that? I do that by living a victorious life in Jesus. I live in a victorious life in Christ. That's how I can overcome and defeat sin than when I face it uh, in my life here today. So when you get to Romans 7, everything changes a little bit. So Paul in Romans 7 actually gets pretty personal. He he probably gets more personal and raw and real here than any other letter that he writes in the New Testament. And Paul wrote about a third of your New Testament. There's 27 books in in that part of the Bible. So a third of those Paul wrote. Here he gets pretty personal and open and raw and real. And and I'm going to tackle Romans 7 a little bit differently and uh, try something new here this morning. Don't y'all like change and new things? Some, Some of you guys who are type A's are like, no, I hate it. Don't change anything But we are We're changing today. day I, I'm going to try to get through Romans 7 I'm going to give you a lot of theology today uh, So, so I, I'm going to give you a lot of theology A lot of stuff that Paul's talking about in, in, in Romans 7 I'm going I'm to go through that today and then next week, don't worry, because <clears throat> if you're the guy who's like, man, pastor, I like the how-to stuff, no problem. Next week, we switch gears. We go back to Romans 7. I'm not going to give you theology. I'm going to give you practical living. How in the world do I take what we learned about in Romans 7 the previous week and live this out? What do I do with that? And the reason why I'm doing it that way is because we'd be here for hours if, if, I, if, if I did it the way I normally teach. So I'm, I'm going to change it up a little bit next week we'll come back and we'll kind of dive into all right great what do I do with all of this from Romans 7 how many of you guys struggle uh, to serve other people here today like you you're just honest enough to say that I struggle to serve folks you are in church don't don't lie so some of y'all are good you're like I do it I, I struggle I struggle to serve people I just tell you right now this is this is pastor confession because uh, I, I think we all look out for number one this this is this is a, your first episode of pastoral confessions with Andrew Bullard here This morning. This is the bless me, Father, for I have sinned. This is where I'm at. I'm going to share something with you here. I'm going to be open and raw and real so that you know I struggle too. I like to have the last of everything. So if there's the last pizza, the last cookie, the last cake, I'll sell my wife and kids out because I want that. Like, I want it. And and I have no problem. Now, I told you I'm confessing. I'm confessing. So don't sit there and say, Pastor, you said, I did. I lied. I'm going to give an example. My son will come up to me and say, Dad, is there a pizza? Can I have a piece? And if I know there's one piece in the box, it will say no no I know it 's not I know I know it 's a lie, but I want the pizza, so I say no now it works, okay it works and i'm not, I'm not i ain 't scared of my wife like I can go toe to toe with her that 's fine, but there 's one person in my household that is my kryptonite and and, and she 's not very big, and she 's not even two. But whatever she wants, I, I got to give it to her. And I told my wife when she was pregnant with my little girl, I said, baby, I'm just telling you, I'm not finding it. I'm admitting it. It's over. Like, whatever, I'm there. Like, she's got me already. Whatever she wants. She's my only girl, and she's my baby, you know? And so it, when my little girl, her name her name's Arya. So when she, when she comes up, and she wants something. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm there. Shayna told me yesterday, she, she looked at me yesterday, and she said, you are too soft. And I looked right back at my wife, and I said, I am. Like, I didn't even fight that. Uh, she, she didn't listen to you. I know. Uh, just a few weeks ago, she came up to me, and she said, uh, she, she comes up to me, she says, uh, Aria, show daddy eat. And she walked to the fridge. So what translation of what that means to you, it means Arya wants to show you what she wants to eat. Like, I want to show you what I want. So we go to the fridge and she points to the fridge. We open up the door and it just happens to be pizza, okay? There is the pizza box. I love pizza. And she points to the pizza box. Arya eat pizza. And I said, what, what, about, what about this, babe? What if we, what if we make a deal? What if daddy gives you some candy, okay? Why? Because I have more candy in my house than Willy Wonka. Like, I got candy everywhere. I got candy from Easter and Halloween and The Oompa Loompas could build a chocolate waterfall out of all the candy we have. I got two birds and one stone I can kill. One, I get rid of all that candy I got to get rid of. And then two, I will satisfy her little need with a treat and I can get that pizza. And so I did. I let her have candy and I had the pizza. Now, you would say, I don't think that's good parenting. And you would be right. That is not not good parenting however i will submit to you this all my veteran parents in the room who are like i've got three and four kids is that not practical parenting see that's what you do when you have multiple kids you try to you try to get as practical as you can get and sort of take care of yourself a little bit No, maybe not no i'm not feeling it okay it was bad parenting honey i was wrong all right We look out for for us, number one, we look out for ourselves. We're all guilty of it. Going back to Romans 5, our spiritual default condition is sin. So it's not a surprise then for us to put ourselves before other people, even before God. We're going to struggle with sin. But you can overcome those struggles. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures real quick. There's a couple of places where we overcome sin in our lives. 1 John 4 4 says this, Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So greater is the Spirit of God in you, and then what you're facing out there, you can overcome what comes your way. First John 2, 1 and 2. If you do sin, there's an advocate who pleads your case, and it it's Jesus Christ. He atoned for our sin and the sin of the world. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, you have a high priest, this is Jesus, who understands our weaknesses, which is our temptation and struggles, because he faced the same tests that we do, but did not sin. And he said, well, pastor, I don't think he faced the exact same thing that I faced. He probably didn't face it, you know, yes, with with, with, the same technological advances we have today, but behind every temptation, the root cause is still the same, it's about serving self. And if you look at the temptations that we know about, that are outlined in the Gospels, every one of those that Satan offers to him are all about serving the self over God. He defeats those temptations. He knows what that's like. Verse 16 of Hebrews 4, he says this, that we can boldly approach God to receive grace in our time of need. What is grace? Grace is the power of God to live for God. The power of God to live for God. Living for Christ means that we serve God over ourselves. It means that we're to live what what we're, what we're calling here a spirit-filled or spirit-empowered life. Every single follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you're a committed follower of Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you. From that moment where you say yes and you go all in, the Spirit of God dwells within you. There's a lot of folks who will tell me things like say, Pastor, here's you know, I, I, I'm not a Christian, but I am a spiritual person. And, and, and that is very true. Like I, don't, I don't even dispute that. It makes sense, right? We're, all, we're spiritual beings. Like We have a spirit. God is spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. It makes sense to be a spiritual person. Where I draw a distinction is that if you're not following Christ, that means the Holy Spirit's not within you. So what spirit of spirits are you following? Well, I'm, 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 I don't, I'm not following a particular spirit. I, I just believe this idea of spiritual connectedness, right? Universe, energy, that kind of thing. I would contend this. If God is spirit and He's given us the Holy Spirit, it follows any other spirits are not from God. And so any other feeling of being connected, whether it is the universe or the force, see for Yoda, you know, or whatever it is you want out there, okay, it doesn't emanate from God. Because there's only one spirit which does, and that's that's his spirit. Yeah. So we're not even in Romans 7 yet, but here's your first takeaway this morning. The first takeaway from our passage. Living for Christ means what? I'm living by the Spirit of God. I'm living by God's Spirit. That's what living for Christ means. How do I live for Jesus? What does it look like? I'm living by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. And so Paul's going to show theologically like how we're to live for Christ and living by the Holy Spirit. He's also going to show this, how the law, whenever that phrase law is used, just kind of have in your mind this. Old Testament, Deuteronomy, kind of just old way of doing things. He's going to show how the law, or the rules, if you want to call it that, are completely done away with in practice. And not, not theory, but practice. And I'll, I'll, share, I'll get into all this here this morning. He spent a good time in Romans so far talking about how the law cannot save you. But it's not useless, it does have a purpose. The law, which is, it shows you the depth of your sin. There is a purpose to it. Now, we don't live in a rules-based spiritual environment any longer. There are folks who live that way. But but, we're, but that's not how we're to live. You know, it's, it, the folks who live in a rules-based spiritual kind of life, they focus, it's all outward stuff. It's all external, right? I mean, if I look right, if I act right, if I do right, like, like I'm there. I mean, there was a time period where, depending what church tradition you were a part of, like you would never go to the movies, you know, because like Satan is on that screen. Like you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go see Grease when it came out in the 70s. Have you seen the ungodly outfit Olivia newton john wore at the end? Uh-uh. No Christian ever. <laughs> that's rules-based spirituality. It's got nothing to do with salvation. But we we had a time, and some are still there where we we put all the focus on that, where it's all about the what's outward. That's a rules-based spirituality. That we're not living according to that any longer. That's that's we're not doing that kind of thing. Why? Because it can't save you. It does nothing for you. We live by the Spirit of God, who uses the law. Or their rules, right? To point us back to Christ. Romans 7 1. Let us take you there this morning. Paul says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know the law applies only while a person is living? So, for example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law and doesn't commit adultery when she remarries. And I like how he starts off, because Paul is starting off here with something that's very common in his day, but it's also very common in our day as well. Now, I'm not teaching on divorce this morning. That's a loaded topic, and I'm not going there today. But here's what I will say. He's using this as an example to show us something here. He says it's the death of a spouse which frees the other from the law of marriage. So as long as that spouse is alive, Paul says, neither of them are free from that law of faithfulness to each other. When you take your marriage vows, all right, it is faithfulness to each other. It is death do you part, sickness and health, better or for worse, like I'm committed, I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. And that's hard to do. Especially in a world where there are so many different discrete options for you to take to be unfaithful and your spouse not even know about it. I'll just tell you real quick for my, especially my college and young adults and and even if you're not in that category but you're single this morning, just, just, just listen real quick to me. Marriage is really important. Vitally important. Marriage is incredibly important. The vast majority of us this, this is the life that, that we need. Now, there are some that Paul talks about, like they have to get the gift of singleness, not because they can't land a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, it's just, they're just like, I, I'm not, I don't want that, I don't want a family, I don't want a spouse, I'm, I'm content with life as, as just me, and that's fine, but the majority of us, that's not who we are and where we're at. Marriage is really, really important. Don't rush into it. Don't do it. Don't hurry into it. Well, you know, we got pregnant. We'll get married. It'll be okay. No, 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 no. Because it may not be okay. Think about it. Think really hard. Okay, this is yes to this person forever. What's the spiritual, moral, ethical responsibilities that I'm going to take on? Am I ready to take that on for this person? Is it better for us to go our separate ways or am I ready to take that on for that person and really commit for the rest of my life to them? This is a weighty thing and it should be a weighty thing. It should not be something we just kind of jump into Disney style, right? Like We we should really consider what we're doing here. And my message to you is a little bit of a soapbox, but my message to you guys is just consider everything before you say yes, okay? Because it's pretty important. Now, why is Paul starting a marriage? He's going to show you why in the next verse, verse number 4. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. So so who's the husband in this example he's using? The husband is the laws, the rules, the expectations. He goes, and now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead, and as a result we can produce a harvest of good deeds or good works for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and we're no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the way of obeying the letter of the law so he's like not in the way of fulfilling the law to perfection every little you know t that's crossed and i that's dotted but in the new way of living in the spirit and we're going to talk about what that means here in, in, in a moment so paul says so you're married to the law but then, you know, you died to it when you, when you accepted Christ. When you died to Jesus and said yes to him, you died to the law. And so who are you married to now spiritually? Well, it's, it's not more rules. Jesus did not die to give you more rules, give you a Bible that for you to treat as like a manual on how to live. It's not what he did. Right? It was actually God who gave the law to begin with. No, you're married to Christ. Now, all throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, there is one singular motive that is always used to describe the relationship between God and His people, and it's that of marriage. It's the people of God who are the bride, it's God who is the groom, and that relationship is always seen in front and center because the point is that we should have a closeness to God in our lives that resembles the same kind of closeness and vulnerability and transparency that we have in our marriage and that's why it's used god gives the law so israel understands how to conduct themselves before him christ comes along and you know we live according to christ relationship here in the new testament era we'll break it down here in just a second sin is still sin but if you want to stop sinning If you want to stop doing something that's wrong, what do you do? You have to name it. You have to identify it. So what does the law do? The law identifies sin. So you know what not to do and you know what to do. And if you go against the law, if you go against something you're not to do, it's actually worse than sin. It's called a transgression, which means you knowingly, purposefully, intentionally did the wrong thing. It kind of heightens the level a little bit there. And so then along comes Christ in the Gospels. And he rises and he dies and rises again for us. Jesus is held accountable to the law for you. Whenever we talk about his sacrifice, it's in the context of Christ. Him satisfying the wrath of God. When you broke the law, it required punishment or judgment or wrath. That's why you offered a sacrifice, a ram, a bull, to take that punishment for you. Well, Christ was that punishment for us on the cross. He satisfies the wrath of God that was required for sin. He is the fulfillment of the law. Look at his own words, Matthew 5, 17. He says this, "'Don't misunderstand why I've come. "'I did not come to abolish the law of Moses.'" Or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to fulfill them, in other words, to the fullest. He's the fulfillment of the law. And it's why, this is why it's so important to understand that if he's the fulfillment of the law, then by following Jesus, who again, perfectly lived it out, never sin fulfilled it, by following him, Alright We too are following the law Not practically, not physically But we're following it in spirit He fulfilled it His spirit lives within us As we follow Christ we are also in spirit following. That's why we don't lie or cheat Or murder or whatever Because it, it still matters to a certain extent Because Christ fulfilled it It's in Christ Who was held accountable For us Now who are we held accountable to? When you sin, God doesn't say, hey, you broke this law here. Let me pull up, do it around me and show you. No, we're held accountable now, not to the law. We're held accountable to Jesus who fulfilled it for us. All right? We're held accountable to Him. And so the only rule that matters now for you and for I is simply this we've got to get close to Christ. He says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is, that's a very absolute statement. That is a statement that says this. It, the statement it, it, it does not give you room to say, he's a great teacher, I kind of like him. No, no, no. That statement says he's either the way to God or he's not. It he kind of forces you to give an answer one way or the other. And if he's the way to God, then that means if I want salvation, I want forgiveness, I have to follow him. The only rule that matters for you and I is that if we follow Christ, we're free. That, that's the one that matters for us. Now once you say yes to Christ, man, it takes time, because it's difficult to die to yourself. It's difficult to put God first, others first, but the clear need is this, that we need Jesus in our lives. We need to live this life according to the Spirit of God. Just to underscore how important this is, by the way, Paul lets his readers know in verse number 6 that once you follow Christ, you're released from the law in the sense of obeying it to every single extent. You don't obey it to the letter anymore because you're now following Christ, who's the fulfillment of the law, and by doing so, you're living in, in the spirit of God. Okay? Follow me here this morning. Told you, there's a lot of theology today. What does that mean? Well, it means we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're not throwing the law out entirely. But, but it does mean this. We cannot blame the rules. You don't, you don't blame the rules. You don't blame the law for your sin and your predicament. Up until Christ was baptized by John, the law, the Old Testament, the prophets, that was active. You, you had to live your life as best you could to fulfill it. But it was a fruitless endeavor. Nobody was able to do that until Christ arrives in the scene. What does God do? He literally takes it upon himself to fulfill the law for you. Think about that for a moment he fulfilled it for you you couldn't do it so he did it for you so what do you do now with the rules if God fulfilled them for you well you follow Christ again Christ is that fulfillment and that also means this that if he's the fulfillment there are some things that we are definitely not going to do any longer because they don't matter because he himself said they don't matter I'll give you an example dietary laws no longer matter eat all the shrimp pork bacon you want to eat if you want to do that you don't have to I choose to. I'm a. I'm a I am do not know how I make it without bacon. It's pretty good. You, you can do that though. You can do that. Why? Because he says it himself. Look at look at Matt, uh, Mark seven eighteen. This is Christ talking here. It's, don't you understand? Can't you see the food you put into your body cannot defile you? The law said it did. He's like, no, no. It's not about food. Food doesn't go into your heart but the only, it only passes through the stomach and then it goes into the sewer. So by saying this, he's declaring that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Why? If you continue reading verses 20 and 21, he says it's, it's from within your heart which defiles you and he lists things like sexual sin and murder and greed and that kind of stuff that's what actually makes you in a position where you're sinning and you're going against God it's not about whether you've eaten the right stuff it's not about whether you have cotton and tweed mixed together in fabrics which is another law you weren't supposed to mix fabrics together Like th- those things don't matter that's not important it's about your heart if your heart's not right you're not right and that's really where he's redirecting people to your heart has to be right. But when it comes to covenant relationship with God, rules involving how God and his people interact. So think stuff like Ten Commandments. Don't kill. No gods before me. That kind of stuff. Well, those matter and are important because it deals with relationship, your heart. It deals with the heart and the condition of your heart with God. And the catch is... We're not held to those standards when we break them. Christ was held to those standards for us. So now we're held accountable to Jesus himself. When we fail, we're not given the same penalty the law requires. So the law said when you failed, you, you, you got to pay a price. The price is death. Well, I, I'm, I don't want to die. So God's like, yeah, so bring me a bull, bring me a ram. They'll pay the price for you. That's, that's how it worked. But now that Christ has paid the penalty for us, he's paid our bill, it doesn't work that way anymore. Now what happens is we are responsible to follow Jesus who paid the bill for us. He died for us, so we follow him. It was Christ who's held accountable for us, which is why when we sin, we don't go back to a sacrificial system. You know, bring out the cat. Like, we're not doing that. Now we go to Jesus And it's Jesus who gives us Mercy which is what we don't deserve But that's forgiveness And then he gives us grace Which is the power of God to live for God We do that now because of what he did for us Verse number 7 Paul says, well then am I suggesting the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. So we've kind of already talked about this. The law reveals the depth of your sin. I I would never have known that coveting was wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. So again, it identifies, it names what's wrong, right? Some folks will take an extreme kind of hyper-grace approach and they'll say stuff like well, you know, you can live your best life now, like you be you, okay? It's okay. God will forgive you. God God will change you. Paul doesn't buying buy into that though because he's saying, look, had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known like what, what sin was. So he's stressing the importance of the law's role in revealing the depth of our sin. You need rules to give you clarity and boundaries, but you can't blame the rules. Let me give you a real life example. If you are driving through town and you get pulled over, the officer walks up to your car, you roll the window down, okay? sir, did you know you were going 55 or 35? Now, what do all of us say? All of us in the room, what do we say? No. <laughs> like, none of us say yes. We're all like, no. You know, officer, my wife's car, it just drives so much faster than my clunker. <laughs> like, you know, like That's what we say. If you're blaming the rule, could you imagine telling the officer, I knew I was doing 55, and I knew I was doing 55, because I don't think the speed limit should be 35. I think it should be 55, and I'm gonna keep doing 55. Now, good luck with that ticket, because it's gonna be the highest ticket you've ever gotten in your life, right? Like, we need boundaries. Rivers have banks, right? And as long as the river's in the bank, it flows, and the current moves in the direction it should move in, you can enjoy it. When the river goes over its banks, we call it a flood, and it's catastrophic. And destructive. You have to have boundaries in place to keep you moving in the right direction. You got to have rules in place to help you go where you should. get to show you that you're getting off track a little bit here. It's not that God's expectations are bad; they're not. It's just that you can't blame the rules because they don't save you. Okay, Christ does. You're held accountable to Christ, not the law. And until you die, you're a work in progress. You might overcome some things. Hey, I don't struggle with this anymore of that anymore. That's fine. There's other things that God's going to keep working on in your life because you're not perfect. There's a guy in the Gospels, he goes to Jesus, he's like, hey, what is the greatest commandment? There's a lot of commandments, man. There's a ton of them. Which one's the greatest one? You know, and, and Jesus is like, all right, oh, oh, I, I got plenty. You want to offer, hey, honor your father and mother. Right? That's Don't murder people. Always use your turn signal if you're from Ohio. Okay. I got Ohioans here, but I'm telling you, I think y'all are worse drivers than South Carolinians. That's just me. No, he didn't say that. Here's what he said. Here's what Christ said. He says this, Matthew 22. He says, you must love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? It's loving God with everything you have. The second is equally important. So in other words, it's not really a commandment. There's, there's a couple of things you need to do, and one's not more important than the other because they're equals. Here's the next one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not to go down a rabbit hole this morning, but I will say this. Some of you can't love people because you don't love you. You have a low view of who you are you don't see yourself as God sees you and because of that you cannot open up your heart and compassionately love and care for other people and until you can see yourself as God does who values you and loves you and says you're mine until you do that you'll be incapable of loving other people you must love people as you see yourself in a healthy respect The entire law, he says, and all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commandments. If you boil everything down, there's over a thousand different laws. Boil them all down. Love God, love others. That's it. That's what you do. What does that mean? I'm serving God over myself. I'm serving people over myself. I'm third on the list. Verse number eight. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. And at one time, I lived without understanding of the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life. They actually brought death instead. Once you know boundaries, it is really hard not to push them. Right, All the parents in the room, you know. In my family, we don't have terrible twos. We have terrible threes. Because whenever my kids hit three, this is where we really faced it. They they push it, and they push real hard. I know I can't do this. How far can I go before mom and dad punish me? That's just what we do. When you know... What a boundary is. Your natural instinct is to see how far can I go without kind of crossing over. There's a temptation to always kind of cross over though. And so what happens is you start looking for loopholes and addendums. You're your own personal attorney, man. Like you're trying to find all kinds of ways out of this stuff. Sin entices you to go too far. And in kind of a strange way, having knowledge of sin, which, you know, it gives more power to it because it becomes irresistible. Well, what can I do that doesn't qualify as sin and yet get away with it? That's the wrong attitude and position to be coming from. But a lot of us operate that way. Well, you know, but the Bible says if you get drunk, it's a sin. So how many drinks can I have before I'm okay? Like I think that's just the, it's the wrong question to ask. The real question, and we'll get to this part in Romans 2. We're not there yet. This is later. The real question should be, if I have a drink, who does it cause to stumble? And who does it cause to spiritually hurt? More on that later as we get into the study. But that—that that, this is the wrong question to ask. We, so Paul realized in all of this that obeying the law didn't transform or save him. If you insist on just following the rules and doing all you can to not break them, in the end... You're going to find yourself standing before God one day. And you're going to hear words you never want to hear. Hey, depart from me because I don't know you. You're never going to want to hear those words. But if you're going all in with the rules, that's what you're going to hear. Why? Because the rules don't save you. They only reveal the depth of your sin. They reveal that you're hopeless to live them perfectly, which is why you need Jesus. That's why you need him verse 11. Sin took advantage of these commands and deceived me, Paul says. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy, and the commands are holy, and they're right, and they're good. Sin pushed the boundaries through temptation, which led Paul to break the law. But the law was good. It's not to blame for the problems of sin and that kind of thing in his life. It actually points back to Jesus. Because if left to ourselves, we would continue to live apart from God. So you can't save yourself. Right? There, there, there's an instance of in scripture where, where Christ says in the gospels, he's like, hey, listen to a crowd of onlookers. Unless your righteousness, your holiness, your spirituality, right? Uh, unless it surpasses the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? Pharisees were the spiritual elite in Jesus' day. Unless it surpasses those guys, you can't get into heaven. And people are freaking out, man. It's like, what? Well, well, these guys, they keep the law better than anybody else. And if they can't get into heaven, like, we are all screwed. What do we do? And that is the point. You can't make it on your own. You can't. You you have to rely on God. Only Christ can save you. Only he can get you to the right place with God. So don't blame the rules and decide to do what's right. Decide to do what's right. Man, if, if you're wanting to live life where, I said the prayer, I'm going to punch my ticket to heaven, but I'm going to live how I want to live and do what I want to do without any concern for really truly following after the Lord, I I will tell you that your heart is not right with God today. Well, pastor, you don't know my heart. I'm I'm telling you, your heart is not right with God today. And I got to say it. Because there's a couple of you here this morning, I don't know who you are, but there's a couple of you here this morning, that is, that is where you're at, spiritually. Now I'm not talking to our folks, and there are many in our church, who are kind of new to this. You're new to your faith, or you've got questions about God, you're kind of sorting some things out, and like you're exactly where I expect you to be. That's not for you. This is for the folks who, who think they know everything. Maybe you grew up in church, you got knowledge of God, you've been a you know committed follower for, for a while. You've got your Jesus game face on, right? And outwardly, it all looks right because you know what to say and what to do. But inwardly, you're still living according to your sinful condition, still kind of doing what you're, you want to do. But outwardly, you're projecting a faith that you claim to have but you fail to live by. And please hear me on this. It's not that works save you. We've, we, have, we have kind of beaten that dead horse. They don't. But there is what we call fruit, And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that, that you know, the condition of my heart produces the outcome. So how I live is a reflection of the condition of my heart spiritually. And so if my heart is not right with God, I can claim to have faith all I want. But if I'm living a life that doesn't match that, well, it's kind of hard to, to, to say I'm, I'm all in for Jesus, isn't it? They're, they're, they're in conflict with each other. It's not a popular thing to say nowadays, but that's, that's the truth, isn't it? So Christ makes it pretty clear, and we talked about this last week. If you're not willing to give everything up, including your own way of life for him, you actually, he tells you straight up, like, you can't follow me. You can't be my disciple. Why? Because you're still anchored to things in this life that he died and rose again to set you free from. Like you're, you're still there. You've got to cut the anchor. You've got, to move, you've got to move on from that. So decide to do what's right. Decide to live for Christ. Verse 15. <clears throat> Skip down to 15. I don't really understand myself, Paul says. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, like, I, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, well, this shows I agree the law is good. So I'm not the one really doing it. It's the sin living in me that does it. Now, Paul's going to get a little tough to follow here. If you haven't picked up, he's going to go a little crazy. He doesn't understand his own actions. He doesn't do what he wants. Rather, he does what he hates to do. and He knows that he does things that displease God, right? And it gets a little tricky, so follow me here. But Paul knows that if he's aware of sin... And, and what sin, the law reveals our sin in our life. If he's aware of that, the law itself, the rules, are not to blame here. It's the sin that's at work behind his actions. So just to say this again, you're a work in progress, okay? You're a work in progress. God will spend your entire life working sin out of you. He'll spend your whole life working within you. And building you into the person he's calling you to be. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me. And that is my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. And I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but man, I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's the sin living within me that does it. You got it? <laughs> you follow me there? T- t- Paul gets a little, he gets a little rambly sometimes. He's stating that he doesn't have it within him to do what he should, which is striking a mission from a guy who planted so many churches, raised up leaders like Timothy and Titus, wrote a bunch of letters in the New Testament. It's a big admission here. This passage underscores why you need Jesus, why you got to get close to him. It underscores that. Verse 24. He says, Man, What a miserable person I am. He will free me from this life. But it's dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind? I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Who will free Paul? It's not the law. It's not the rules. There's no hope found within them. There's no hope found in your ability to perfectly keep scripture and follow God on your own power only Christ can set you free only God can get you where you need to go he wants to do the right thing but he can't do it he's still a slave it's so hard for so many to wrap their minds around this it was hard for me for a long time too so I get it I'm a good person I do good things I treat people well like, why is I not good enough? That has to be good enough, right? Paul says, no, 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 I'm still a slave to sin. I'm still a slave. I want to do what's good. I'm still a slave. If being good was enough, you wouldn't need Jesus. All we would have to do is live a good life, and that'd be it. It would satisfy God's judgment. It would satisfy that, you know, everything would have been Okay problem is being good enough doesn't match it doesn't take away sin or deal with sin that's why we had to have Christ come and die and rise again take that judgment and punishment of God for us we can't be good enough he's like man and the things that I don't want to do I'm still, a, I'm still a slave to sin I do them anyway it's a great picture look whether you're good whether you're not good You need Jesus. There's no way out of it. You're a slave to sin until he sets you free. And then he sets up perfectly where we're going to go in a couple of weeks. When we get to Romans 8. Romans 8.1, now he writes, So, or therefore, now there is what? No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Z, come on up. Apart from Christ, we're slaves to sin. That's the bottom line. We can't free ourselves. So what do we do? If I'm a slave to sin, if I'm good. If I'm a slave to sin, if I'm bad. How, do I just throw my hands up in the air and say, man, I just can't do this, this whole Jesus thing? No, 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 no. Paul's message is, press sin towards Christ. Press into Jesus, man. Keep going after him. Yeah, you're, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and, and you're not going to make it every time. But here's the great thing. When you say yes to Christ, when you stumble and fall, well, you know what God does? He doesn't condemn you for it. He, does, he doesn't do that. God will never condemn those who place their faith in Christ. Every time you blow it with your sin, you don't come back to the rules. Well, I didn't do this right and this right and this right. no, no, no. no. You come back to Jesus. God, I'm so sorry. I messed up. Here's what I did wrong. You know what God does? He gives you mercy, which is forgiveness and what you don't deserve, and He gives you grace, which is the power of God to live for God. That's what He does. He doesn't condemn those who belong to Him. The struggle was real. God's not shaking His head at you, He's not ready to strike you down. He doesn't hate you, He hasn't given up on you. I mean, if Paul has room to write publicly, his, what's happening in his life and how he's dealing with all of this, I think we have room privately to say, you know what, God, I'm struggling. Can you, can you free me? Can you do something in my life that I, I really need you to forgive me and set me free today? In the Gospels, there's a story of, of this woman and she's caught in the act of adultery, okay? Now, caught in the act, she's actually probably physically having sex with this guy and and and, they, and, and they, the, the spiritual elite, the Pharisees, they drag her out, Probably drag her out naked and everything. And they bring her to Jesus and throw her down his feet. Like, hey, the law says if you commit adultery, it's death. They all pick up stones. They're all ready to stone her, you know? And so they're thinking, we got Jesus trapped now, right? Because he's been saying all this great stuff about God, but boy, we got him right here because she's committing sin, and we caught her having sin, and she's, we, he has to say she has to die. So Jesus, what do you say? You know what he does? He's like, okay, you got a point. She did sin. Yep, she did break the law you guys who've never sinned boy you throw that first stone one by one they drop their stones walk away by the way before you call somebody out for their sin can you believe what they're wearing can you believe what they said pastor you don't know where that. before you do that kind of stuff you should probably examine your own heart and just see where you're at I guarantee you, you're not perfect either. They walk away. Now, story's not done. She's still there. So Jesus kind of kneels down. Hey, where are the people who condemn you? And she's looking around. Uh, I'll, I'll see him. It's like, yeah, I don't condemn you either the story's not done. He gave her mercy, which is forgiveness, which she didn't deserve. The story's not done. You know what else he does? He says this, go and sin no more. So what's he give her now? Grace. Power of God to live for God. Mercy and grace. When you say yes, when you go all in, there's no condemnation. There's just mercy and grace somebody in the room today you needed this one because this is in your wheelhouse today you need to know that God loves you that if it was just you he would die and rise again and do it all over again for you because he values you that much he cares for you that much Just a moment. We're gonna give those of you who are here today. Perhaps you'd say, Pastor, this condemnation thing, this grace forgiveness. I'm not really dealing with the whole law stuff, not quite sure what that is yet, but I could tell you what I do need. I I really want to start over, and that forgiveness thing sounds good. What do I do with that? I'm gonna give you a chance in in a moment to get started on that journey. But For you guys who are believers and you've already been followers of Christ for a while, today is a call for you. It's a call for you to serve God over yourself and to serve others over yourself as well. It's a call to live by the Holy Spirit. Can you say this morning that you're allowing God's Spirit to lead you and direct you and to guide you? And if you're not real confident about that, then your prayer today just needs to be, Jesus, help me to live by your Spirit each and every day. Help me to do the right thing each and every day. Help me to be sensitive to your Spirit and what he's saying to me and what he's trying to do in me each and every day. For now, I want to address those of you who maybe need to say yes to Christ. You're here this morning. You just say, me this, this forgive. I, I need this forgiveness stuff you're talking about. This no combination That's speaking to me. What do I do?" So, we're gonna. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It's a model prayer. I don't do the whole repeat out loud or raise your hand, come up front. I don't do that kind of thing. But what I do at radiant church, I do this. I, I say a prayer and kind of model what it would go like. I invite you to say it with me. You don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to, but I want you to say it with me and we're going to do two things. We're going to make Christ our Savior, because He forgives us of our sin first, and cleanses us of our wrong, and then we're going to make Him Lord of our lives. Lord meaning He's going to guide you and direct you. You're no longer going to call the shots. You're going to say, you know what? I, I'm going to follow Jesus and center my life over to Him. That's what that's what Lord is here. And so we're going to make Him Lord. And it's not a one and done thing. Your journey is just starting with that prayer. There's a whole lifetime of stuff that God will wants to do in you. And there's some next steps we will help you with what those are. And then I want to come back and pray for those of you who are Christians. So bow your heads, close your eyes if you would here this morning. And say, Pastor, I may not have understood all the law stuff, but I can tell you what I do need and I understood what you just talked about at the end right there. Boy, I need some forgiveness in my life. I need Jesus that's you, this prayer that you're going to say, and again, you don't have to say it out loud, but, but I don't want you to say this prayer. It's going to go like this. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin, and I recognize today that I can't save myself. And I look at my life, and I kind of see where I'm at, and decisions I've made, and some things, yeah, I'm not proud of some stuff, but I, I can just see God... I am not where I should be. And today, I need you to save me. I, I, I need you to forgive me. Will you come into my life and change me? Will you begin to set me free from sin? Will you begin to give me this new life, this forgiveness that I know I, I'm no, I don't deserve, but I recognize today that I need it? I'm going to commit myself today, going forward, to following you. I'm going to follow you. My whole heart and life, I'm going to put it in your hands. I've kind of done my own thing. I've made my own decisions. and I've seen where that's gotten me. And I'm ready to hand these keys over to you. Will you guide me? Will you lead me? And I'm going to follow you you have my whole heart you can have my whole life I'm, I'm going to give it to you be my savior and be my lord lord for those who are Christians today maybe you're dealing with them right now they're, they're realizing they haven't lived a life according to your spirit maybe they're realizing today God that you know they've not served you as they should or other people as they should Father, I pray you would help them each day to make the decision to live by your Spirit to do what's right. To serve you and serve others over themselves. To follow the example of Christ who came not to be served, he came to serve. That's, That's our role. So help us to serve you. To serve others, to love God, to love others. Maybe we're struggling with how we view ourselves. We don't see ourselves the way you see us. Lord, I pray that you would, you would change that. May we see ourselves as you do, so we can love and care for people in the manner in which we need to do that, and serve them in the manner in which we need to as well. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, in all that we do, with our gifts and abilities and resources and who we are, Lord, may you take that and use it for your glory, for your purposes, and also to benefit others as well, to serve them. Thank you for showing us the example of what it means to serve God and others by sending your Son, by sending Jesus, who died and rose again so we could be free from sin. Thank you for guys like Paul who are vulnerable in their letter about their own struggles. Helping us see how, hey, we can overcome this too. We can find the hope we need in Christ as well. They give you the praise and honor and glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram. Like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes, and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.